If you got your Bibles with you, turn them to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to try to cover about uh, 15 verses today, verses 35 through 49. Um, we got one more lesson next week in 15, and then we'll move on to the last chapter. 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 49. Um, so the title of our lesson today is What We Shall Be. Um, I tell you, if you talk to Christians and anybody that believes in the resurrection, believes in heaven... We all have a question, what's it going to be like? What is our bodies going to be like? And today, uh, Paul is going to answer uh, some of those questions for us. Now, we've, we've said it multiple times already um, that the entire theme of this chapter is the resurrection of believers. Uh, the Bible promises for, for Christian believers not just a resurrection of the soul, not just a resurrection of the spirit, not just a resurrection of the inner person, but a resurrection of our bodies. Romans 8.23 says this, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our what? Our bodies. See, that's part of the whole plan of salvation, is not just saving our soul, not just saving our spirit, our inner person, but the redemption of our bodies, redeeming our bodies, making our bodies right again. Um, now, this is a foundational Christian truth. Okay, this is this is the resurrection of believers is foundational uh, to to Christian doctrine. However, there were some, as we've seen week after week in Corinth, who were having some trouble with it. First Corinthians fifteen twelve. We've read this multiple times. Uh, Paul says, "Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can you, some of you even say?" that there is no resurrection of the dead. So there were people in Corinth who were saying there's no resurrection. Paul is dealing with them in this chapter. But keep in mind that even among... You had people in Corinth who were coming out of the Greek philosophy who didn't believe in the, Greek, in, the, uh, in the resurrection. But keep in mind that even with people who did believe in the resurrection, there were a lot of misconceptions. And in fact, there were a lot of wrong beliefs. Let's take the Jews... Uh, for example, who have the Old Testament. Now, with the exception of the Sadducees, and for those of you that study the Bible, you know the Sadducees were just a particular sect of the Jews, and they didn't believe in the resurrection. Okay, But for the most part, the majority of the Jewish people believed in the resurrection. And the reason they believed in it is because it's taught in the Old Testament. For example, Job 19.26 says this, even after my skin has been destroyed, yet I will see God in my flesh. Now, if you look at that scripture, what Job says, he says, even after my skin or my flesh is destroyed, yet I will see God in my flesh. And the only way that can happen is with a resurrection or a redemption of the body. Daniel 12, 1 through 2 says this, But at that time, this is in the Old Testament, But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. That sounds like it comes right out of the New Testament, doesn't it? But it doesn't. That's, that's Daniel prophesying of the, of the resurrection. So, so the rabbis who were the teachers of God's law, they, they understood there's going to be a resurrection of the body. The problem was is they didn't really know what that was going to be like. What did that mean? that the body would be, would be resurrected. There's, a, there's an old Jewish book. Uh, it's not part of Scripture. It's just a book called The Apocalypse of Baruch. 
And in that book, and, it, and it's really old, it was written before, before uh, Christ, um, in that book there's a rabbi writing and he asked the question, will there be any change when men rise? In other words, will they rise differently than they went in the ground? And in that book it says this, this is a Jewish writer, he says, the earth shall then assuredly restore the dead, it shall make no change in form, but as it has received, so shall it restore. So a lot of the Jewish rabbis taught that the same way you went in, you were going to come out in the same form. So, but that's, that's confusing, right? It raises a lot of questions. If, if a, if a, if a, if a nine-month-old baby dies, does it come out as a nine-month-old baby? Or if a 95-year-old man dies, does he come out as a 95-year-old there's just a lot of questions about that that, that, that doesn't, really, doesn't really, really answer. So what I want you to see today is this section of Paul's letter is written not only to answer the skepticism of the Greeks who don't believe in the resurrection, it's also written to correct some bad theology of, the, of people like the Jews. So Paul is going to give us some answers today. But more, and again, more than that, don't just say, well, Paul was answering them Understand he's answering questions for us, right? There's not a person probably sitting in this room who doesn't wonder, what will we be like after we die? You know, everybody thinks about that from time. What will, what will happen to us? What will our, when we're resurrected, what will this body that I have be like? And so these are the questions that Paul is going to ask and he's going to answer. In fact, you see it in the very first verse. Look at verse 35. Paul says this, but someone will ask, and he, and he asks two questions here, how are the dead raised? So the first question we ask is, how in the world does this process even work? Uh, you know, how does, give, me some, give me some details, Paul. Explain to me how this process ro- works. And secondly, with what kind of body do they come? That's what everybody wants to know. When they are raised from the dead, number one, how does it work? Number two, what is this body going to look like? What's it going to be like? What will we be able to, to do? You know, will we be super strong? Will we be able to fly? Will we be able to walk through walls? Will, will I look like myself? Those are all questions that we just kind of wonder from, from time to time. And again, I've, I say this often. This is one of the reasons that I love the Bible so much. Because if you'll just read it, it has answers to a lot of these questions. Not all of them. But if you'll read the Bible, it has answers to a lot of our, especially of life's deepest questions. And, and, and here, once again, the same questions those people had 2,000 years ago, they're the same questions we have. I'll say it over and over again. Sometimes we look back and think, well, they were different. But they're not different. Human beings don't change. The same things that, that we're afraid of, they were afraid of. The same things that bothered us, bothered them. The same questions they have... We have, because human nature, human nature doesn't change. So these are some of the questions they may have asked themselves. How can a decayed, rotted body rise from the dead, right? What about, you've heard this question before, people say, what about a body that's been blown to bits, just vaporized in an explosion? How in the world does that body come back together? How about a body that's... that's uh, Somebody shipwrecked in the sea and they're eaten by sharks and the, and the sharks rip them apart and there's 25 sharks that eat them and they all go off and, and eventually they come out as waste into the water. And how in the world does that all come back together? Right? I mean, people, those are questions they had. They're questions we had. How can ashes thrown to the wind 
when somebody is, is cremated or, or bones scattered across the ocean floor or, again, flesh that is over thousands of years has just disintegrated into dust, how can all of that be brought back together again and raised from the dead? And, and Paul is going to answer that question for us today. Okay? Not, it might not be the way you want it, but he's going to answer that question. And again, these are questions people of every generation have had. How are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come out of the grave? Now, I want to say before we begin, that before we get into the Scripture, that when it comes to the resurrection body, I'm not going to make anything up. Uh, I'm not going to speculate. I'm not going to invent anything. We're just going to focus today on what the Bible tells us. And by the way, what the Bible tells us is actually a lot. It's not going to answer all of our questions, but I think it'll answer... Uh, at least at least some of them. So let's read verses 36 through 38. Remember, Paul is asking two questions. How are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come out of the grave? Let's read 36 through 38. Paul says this, and he begins with kind of... Uh, he kind of gets on him a little bit. He says, you foolish person. Now, I'm going to come back to that in a minute, and I'm going to show you why he says that. But we'll, we'll move by that for right now. He says, you foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as He has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. All right, now, what in the world is is Paul talking about here? Well, the first thing he does in order to help us understand the resurrection is he gives us an analogy, okay? And the analogy that he chooses to give us is the analogy or the example of the seed. Now, as I studied this passage this past week, and I really thought about this a lot and meditated on a lot, I began to understand, man, just how clear and just how powerful uh, an analogy this turns out to be. So I want to stop right here for a moment and just think a little bit about the seed. How many of y'all in here have planted seeds? Everybody. Everybody's probably, you know, whether you're in school, elementary school, they used to make you plant a little seed. You'd all stick it in the window and it would grow, right? And we've all planted seeds of of some type. Just think about this for a moment. Unless you have, if I gave you a seed today and just put it in your hand, unless you knew, oh, that's a watermelon seed or that's a uh, whatever, unless you had some kind of past experience with that seed, you can never tell by looking at a seed what's going to come out of it. Can you? Is there any clue by looking at that seed that that's going to come out of that? They are completely different, are they not? And see, that's the thing. The seed itself, you put it into the ground. In fact, the seed is what's called, it's in a dormant state. And what you do is when you put that seed in the ground and you cover it with soil, the warmth of the soil combined with the gases and the water actually cause that seed to die. It actually begins to decay. It begins to rot. And when it does it produces something vastly different from the seed itself, does it not? If I gave you some examples this morning, and I just picked a few, if I said, how about those seeds? Anybody know what those are? It's an apple, that's right. See, we've seen those before. But if you had never seen that, how would you ever guess that that's what comes out of that? Right? I mean, it's nothing like the seed. What about this one? Here's a few seeds. These are super small little seeds, and I found this picture, compared them to a, to a match head. Those produce pineapples. I mean, would you ever guess that? 
I mean, you wouldn't even, there's no clue that what's in that seed is going to come out of that seed. Or how, now, how about this one? Right? Well, we all know that because we've seen it and we know those produce live oak trees. But who would have thought if you ever go out and pick, wonder what this is. You know, if I put that in the ground and bury it, it's going to produce this huge, monstrous tree. I mean, you would never figure that out. See, those are just a few examples. But see, what happens is inside of that seed, inside, deep within its cellular structure, lies all the genetic code that is needed to produce an apple or to produce a pineapple or to produce an oak tree. In other words, to produce something completely different from what is actually put into the ground. Now, here's the analogy that Paul wants us to get. Just as a seed dies and produces something unlike itself, that will be exactly the case of our bodies. That's what Paul wants you to see. That your body will die and go into the ground, and when it's raised from the dead, something different will come out. It will not be the body you have today. It will be something of a different form. You see, just like that seed, our bodies is going to die and Christ is going to cause us to rise again in a different form. It's going to be the same life. It's going to be the same person. You're, you're still going to be Bob or Sue or, or, or Jeannie or Derek or whoever the case may be, but our form will be changed by our death and resurrection. Go back to those verses again. Let's read them. Now that we kind of know what he's talking about, Let's go back and read that. He starts out and he says, you foolish person. Now, why would he say that? I'll tell you why in just a minute. Let me go ahead and read it. He said this, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow, here he goes, is not the body that is to be. We don't plant an oak tree to get an oak tree, do we? We, we, don't, take a kernel, we don't take a corn stalk and bury it to get corn. We don't take the whole pineapple and, and bury that to get a pineapple. See, what he's saying is what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Now, why does he say, why are you so foolish? See, what he's saying here is, isn't this plain to y'all, what I'm saying here? See, why is he calling them fools? Because they're asking all these questions. See, remember, there are people in Corinth who don't believe in the resurrection. And many of them don't believe it because they don't understand it. How can that be? How can a, how can a body that's blown to, to, to smithereens and, and, and is just scattered and vaporized, how can that body be raised again? How can a body that falls into the ground and dies, or buried in the ground and dies and eventually decays and all that, how can that body come out perfectly right and everything great? See, that's, that, they kept saying, how can this be? How can this be? How can this be? And see, Paul says, and listen, is the body resurrection a mystery? Yeah, it is to me. I don't really understand it all. Do I understand how a body that decomposes into dust can be reformed into something new? I don't understand all that. But let me ask you a question. Does anybody understand how a seed can go in the ground and come out as a pineapple? Do you understand that? I don't see it at all. And see, what Paul wants us to see is the same mystery that the body of resurrection, that the mystery of the bodily resurrection is no different than the mystery of the seed. He's saying, you foolish person, you don't believe in the resurrection because you don't, can't understand it, but yet you still plant seeds. You see, the 
the fact is, if, if you say you don't believe in the resurrection because you don't understand how one thing can die and another thing come of it, then you might as well say, well, I don't believe in farming. I don't believe in, in planting. Because see, what Paul wants you to see is that same thing happens all around you every single day at a, on a massive scale, is it not? I mean, the fact is, to say that you don't believe in the resurrection of the body is no different from saying you don't believe an oak tree can come out of an acorn, but it does. And it, I mean, it does it every day. We see it every day. This whole process of death and resurrection happens all around us every single day. And Paul says, for you to see that and, and then say, I don't believe in the resurrection because I don't understand it, he says, you fool. How can you be so foolish? God has just put this on display for you all around you in the world. So what he wants us to see is this process of death and resurrection happens around us every day on a massive scale. Out of this old seed and its death comes a new plant. Same life, same genetic code, yet it's something very new and very unique. And what Paul is showing us is that far from the decomposition of the body being an obstacle to new life, what he's showing us is that's actually the way it happens. It happens around you every day. Something has to die and decompose in order to bring forth new life. And he says it's the exact same thing with the resurrection. If you want to, if, 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 to be resurrected, to bring forth this new body, this new form, this redeemed body, that old body has to die and it has to go into the ground and out of it comes this, this new... This is a great analogy. Of, uh, I mean, if I sit here and say, man, I, I don't understand that. I, I don't, I'm not sure I can believe that. Paul says, you fool. Look around you. It happens every day. That's exactly what he wants us to see. And by the way, in that same passage, it tells us God determines what that body will be, right? Verse 38. But God gives it a body, talking about the seed, who chooses as he has chosen. He decides the acorn is going to be an oak tree. He decides that kernel of corn will become this stalk. He decides that little tiny seed will become a pineapple. And he decides what our earthly bodies will rise into. He makes that decision. Okay? It was God, again, that said the acorn will be an oak tree and the kernel of corn a stalk. It's God who says that flower, that seed will become that flower, and that seed will become that flower. I mean, the examples just go on and on and on. The point is this. If God gives to all the seeds of the earth their own form... It's his business what form the resurrection bodies of his people will take. He's already got that planned out. He knows exactly what he's, he's going to do. And here's the thing. Be careful about guessing. <laughs> because can anybody take a seed and even begin to guess what form it's going to take? Can you? No. And in the same way, you cannot take a human body and think, well, when it comes out, I think it's going to look like this. You can't even guess. Don't even try to guess. That's not. That's what Paul says. That's God's doing. God has made that decision. You you stay away from that. There's no no. Don't try to guess. Don't try to speculate. Don't try to infer. Just leave that to God. So again, Paul ends up. Don't be foolish. Why is it so hard for you? He says to believe in the resurrection of the body when you see the exact same thing take place around you every single day. Okay, with the example of the sea. Now that's Paul's analogy how he answers the first question. Remember the first question was, how are the dead raised? How can this be? And Paul says, look, it happens every day. It's going to happen the same way with the human body. You're going to go into the ground, 
You're going to die, you're going to go on the ground, and out of that, God is going to raise something of a different form. Okay? Now, with the rest of the passage this morning, he's going to answer the second question, with what kind of body do they come? In other words, people then are just like us today. We want to know, all right, when I come out of the ground, when I go to meet Jesus in the air, what's that body going to look like? What's it going to be its shape? How many, you know, are we going to have eyes and noses and ears and hands and all of those kind of things? Are we going to be, are we going to be like angels? What are we going to be able to do? We all want to have those questions. And, and Paul is going to begin to answer some of those in this next section. Now, the first thing I want you to notice in verse 39 is the word for. Now, the word for is a connecting word. It actually means because. So what I want you to see is he's not changing directions here. He's just building on the same argument. Remember the argument in the first few verses that we will be raised in a different form. Everybody got that? That's the whole argument of the seed. What happens with the seed? It comes out in something different. When we're raised from the dead, we'll be in a different form. Okay? Now watch what he says in verse 39. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. So what Paul is talking about here is here on earth, there are basically, I mean, basically four types of flesh. There's humans, there are, uh, there's animals that wander around on the earth, there's birds that fly in the air, and there's fish that exist in the, in the sea. Now, one thing he wants us to see here is the vast variety of the creation of, of God that we see around us every day. You see, God, when he created this earth and he created these different forms of flesh, each form of flesh is... Now, now listen to me. Each form of flesh is particularly suited to its surroundings, is it not? Right? I mean, you, a human can't live in the sea. A human doesn't fly in the air and lives in, live in the limbs of the trees. Every form of flesh, fish, birds, animals, and, and human beings, are particularly suited to their, to their surroundings. You know, animals, they don't have to kill and, and make coverings, right? They, they, they find shelter out there in, the, in nature. They, their, their own skin is, is adapted to, 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 to cool itself and to heat itself, right? But human beings, we're different, right? But we've got a brain. You know, if we, didn't have a, if we didn't have the brain we have, we'd cease to exist. Because, but, but because we do, we, we make hides for ourselves, and we clothe ourselves, and we shelter ourselves, and we build fires. But each one of these types of flesh are particularly suited to its surroundings. Okay? Now, here's what he's saying. It's not necessary, therefore, to suppose that the body that shall be raised shall be exactly like what we have here. Why? Anybody? Because our body that's here is adapted to what? To the earth, is it not? But the fact is, when we're raised, we'll be in a different surroundings. It won't be this earth anymore. Okay, the Bible tells us one day this earth is going to burn up and God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And our bodies will be suited to that new heavens and new earth, not, not this one. So isn't it possible, in fact, I would say it's even probable, that God will produce a new form of flesh suitable to its new surroundings. That's what Paul is saying. Here on earth, you got these type of forms of flesh, everything's suitable to surroundings. But he's talking, remember, he's talking about this new form that we would take. So what he's inferring here is that this new form of flesh will be suitable to where we're going to reside for eternity. 
It says, the God who made every form of flesh, human, animals, birds, and fish, suitable to its environment and its living conditions, will in the same way one day give us a new form that's suitable to its living conditions and surroundings in which it will be uh, placed. Now let's look at verse 40 through 41. Paul says this, There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one kind and the glory of the earthly is another. There's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. Now, this can kind of get a little bit complicated, but let's back up. Paul starts out by telling us this is how the resurrection works, right? The same way the seed goes in the ground and dies, and it's raised in a different form. And then Paul tells us there are different forms of flesh on this earth that God has created, which he, again, what he seems to be saying is, When you come out, when this seed of the body dies and you come out of the ground in the resurrection, it's going to be a different form or a different type of flesh suitable to its surroundings. Now, Paul takes the subject to another level and he begins to include the heavenlies in there. He's, He's almost saying, lift up your eyes to the heaven, Paul says. Isn't the same true there? That just as on the earth God has created these different forms of of bodies, that in the heavenlies He's done the same thing. He's created the sun, He's created the moon, constellations, galaxies, stars, asteroids, each with its own splendor, its own beauty, its own dignity, its own glory. You see, the things of this earth are glorious. God's creation is, is amazing. Whether it's the human body, the petals of a flower, the the plumage of a bird or the, the, the sparkle of a diamond. All of those things are, are, are incredible. But the fact is they differ from heavenly bodies and they're not to be compared. They, they, the heavenly bodies exist in a different realm. They're, they're, they're different things. Now, here's my question. Why does Paul introduce the difference between a heavenly and an earthly body? Why is he doing that? Well, he tells us this in verse 42. Watch what he says. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. Okay? Just as there are an earthly body and there's a heavenly body, Paul says in verse, it's the same thing with the resurrection of the dead. In other words, what Paul is saying is just as in creation there are bodies that are fitted or suited for earth and there are bodies that are fitted and suited for heaven... So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Our new bodies will be fitted for the place that we're going to live. Okay? That's what he's saying. All right? So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Let's read verses 42 to 44. So it is, or so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. For if there is a natural body, there also is a spiritual body. Now that's a very famous passage of Scripture. If you've ever been to a funeral, you've probably heard that, you've probably heard that quoted from, from time to time. A typical objection from the, the typical Greek denier of the resurrection was the body was corruptible. I don't know, if, remember several weeks ago we, we, we read a, a quote from a Greek writer who says, this, this idea of a resurrection is ridiculous. Who wants a body that's rotted in the ground? Who wants a body that's decayed? That's ridiculous, they said, right? So Paul's saying, no, that's not a problem. You guys are dwelling on that decayed body, but again, look at the seed. 
Look how the seed works. It decays and brings something completely different from itself. You're, you're, it's going to work exactly the same way in the resurrection. You're going you're to die, you're going to go into the ground, and what comes out is a different form suited to its new in, environment. So this is not a problem at all, Paul says. It's just the way things work. And he doesn't disagree, by the way. Yes, he says, the body that dies is perishable. But the body that's going to come out, now we want to know what's this body going to be like. The body that comes out is what? Imperishable. The body that's died is sown in dishonor. The body that is raised is raised in honor and in glory. The body that's died is sown in weakness. It's going to be raised in power. The body that dies is a natural body. The body that comes out is a what? A spiritual body. I want to hit on a couple of these. I won't have time to get on them all. Paul says it is sown perishable and it's raised imperishable. What does he mean by that? Do you understand, and I hope you do, that from the minute a little bit... Listen, do you understand everybody in this room is dying? You got that? Everybody in this room is dying right now. In fact, from the moment a baby comes out of its mother's womb and takes that first breath, it's dying. It's just a matter of time. The, the, the process of corruption begins right away. The human nature, and I'm, I'm going to show you this here in the morning, the, 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 the flesh that we born, are born with is corrupted. It's not perfect. Okay, Nobody gets through life from 0 to 60 or 0 to 70 or 0 to 80 without something going wrong. Okay, All of us are, are dying, every one of us in this, in this room. You see, corruption begins to function and operate the moment you are born. It, it, and the reason is because it's a property of our earthly body. There's a book out there, and I haven't read this book, but I've read excerpts from it. There's a book called, I was telling Kathy about it this week, it's called The Emperor of All Maladies. Uh, it's written by this Indian guy back in two, 2011. And the book is on cancer. The whole book It's called The Emperor of All Maladies, or The Prince of All Maladies. And the book is on cancer. And basically, he, chronic, it's a bi- he calls it a biography of cancer. He traces cancer from back from the Egyptians all the way to modern days. It's like a 3,500-year history of cancer. It's a 1,500-page book, so it would probably take you like three years to read that, right? Um, But at the end of the book, he says this, we will never conquer cancer because cancer is what it means to be human. Now, that's that's an odd statement, but this is what he means by that. In other words, cancer is corruption, And corruption is a part of who we are as human beings. We're born with corrupt... Everybody with me? What he's he's saying here? It's just part of who we are. And by the way, maybe he's wrong. Maybe we do defeat cancer. But can I tell you, something else will just pop up. Maybe Maybe we can get people to live beyond 70 or 80 and we can get them to 150. But they're still going to die. You see, it's not imperishable. This body is perishable. This body is corruption. If it's not cancer, it'll be heart disease or old age because the body is dying. From the moment it's born, it's dying. Inherent is corruption inside the body. But see, Paul says this new body won't be like that at all. I like the the Berean uh, translation says this, it is sown in decay, it is raised in immortality. The old King James says it is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. 
So one thing we know about this new body is there's no corruption in it whatsoever. Nothing to make it break down, nothing to make it uh, age, nothing to make... There's no corruption like that any way, shape, form, or fashion. It is absolutely perfect. You'll never have to deal with disease. You'll never have to deal with a common cold. You'll never have to deal with cancer. You'll never have to deal with wrinkles. You'll never have to deal with any of those things. Okay? You don't have to deal with any of that. This, this, this is incorruptible. Then Paul says this, and some of this is sad. You know, when you really think about this, life can be really sad sometimes. Paul says it this way. He says it's sown in dishonor and it's raised in glory. I was thinking about this this week, that no matter, you think about this, no matter, I don't care how smart you are, I don't care how good looking you are, I don't care how successful you are, I don't care um, how beautiful you are, how much money you have, can I tell you, age and corruption takes its toll. Age and corruption. You can take a, a man who's the most successful man, the best looking man, and, and maybe Hollywood just thinks this is the greatest thing since sliced bread, let him get 70 years old. And what happens to him? Nobody cares anymore. No, nobody cares anymore. See, all your beauty and all your youth and all your brilliance and all your strength and all your success is going to fade with age. It just, it just does it. And if you don't believe it, go visit an old folks' home. Just go visit an old folks' home. There you're going to see people who were once bright and beautiful and successful and looked up to and celebrated. Am I telling the truth? Right? See, it's sad, but that's what sin does. That's what corruption does. It's ultimately going to dishonor our human bodies. That's what Paul says. The, that body that you've got today is sown in dishonor. And I, and I, I hate to say this, but, but isn't it the worst dishonor? Because God's creation, this, this, what God has created is amazing, is it not? The human body is unbelievable. It, it is so... The, I think of the intellect sometimes that created this, and it just blows my mind how smart God has to be. Because he's not building on something anybody else has ever done. He just started from scratch, which is crazy to me. And he just thought all this stuff up. And you can just take one part of the human body, like the eye, and it'll blow your mind. It'll absolutely blow your... And that's just one piece of the puzzle. He, and he, not only did he create the human body, but he created animals and fish and birds and, and all of this stuff. And, it, and it's great. It's wonderful. And it is glorious in its way. Isn't... When I think about someone that dies, and we lay them in a casket, and we, we make them look as... Isn't that the ultimate dishonor? Isn't it? This beautiful creation of God, this wonderful thing that's full of life and full of glory and full of honor, it is, is, Paul says it's sown in dishonor. It's sown in dishonor. See, it's sad, but that's what sin and that's what corruption ultimately does to, to, the, human, to the human body. And in fact, if we think that through, the grave is really the ultimate in dishonor, is it not? Once again, this, this body that's so great goes into this grave and over time it begins to decay. It's, it's the ultimate of weakness, right? It's the ultimate. But when the resurrection comes, Paul says this, out of the grave will come for the believer a new body, a body raised imperishable, incorruptible, raised in glory, raised in honor, and raised in power. It's the exact opposite of what we have today. 
Now, let's turn to verses 44 to 46, and we'll keep reading. Paul says this, It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam becomes a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. Listen, as long as we're on this earth, we're going to be plagued by being natural. And that's what that guy said in that book. Corruption, dishonor, weakness, that's just part of who we are as human beings. Okay, we, we can't get away from that. It's all part of the natural body, the natural condition. And it's all because of sin. We talked about this last week. And it's all because of our, our father, a man named Adam. So the natural body, folks, is not suited for the life to come. It has to be sown, it has to die, so that another body can come forth. Not a natural body, Paul says. Paul calls it a spiritual body. A body which is suited for the spiritual realm. That's what Paul says. Our body, the same way God created animals and birds and humans and suited for the earth, God is going to create us a body that is, he calls it a spiritual body, that is suited for a spiritual realm. Now, we all want to know these questions, right? Well, what's it going to look like? What am I going to be able to do, right? Now, some of these we can answer. Some of these we, we cannot answer. And again, we're not going to speculate or anything like that. We'll just tell you what Paul says. Look at verses 47 to 49. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so, so also are those who are of the dust and is who are of the dust, and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Now, stop right there. What he's saying, as long as you are on this earth, you've got a body like Adam. The same way that Adam lived and died, you're going to live and die. The same way that Adam had to deal with sickness and cancer and heart disease and old age, you're going to have to deal with all those. That is your natural body. Because that's the body that you get from from your, your, your earthly father, which is Adam. But look at verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Now that's good news right there. That is good news right there. The same way you are bearing the image right now of the man of dust, he says you will also bear the image of the man of heaven. You see, the first man, Adam, is from the earth... As he is, so are we. Our bodies are like his as long as we are on this earth. But the second man is from heaven. And when we get there, our bodies will be like his. As he is, that's what we will be like. Okay? Look at uh, Philippians 3.21. Paul says this, talking about Jesus. He says, who will transform our lowly body to be like what? His glorious body. You see, if you want to know what our bodies will be like, what Paul's telling us here is Jesus Christ is the prototype of a man's spiritual life in a spiritual body. We will be like him. Okay. Now, you may ask me the question, what will your body be like? If you ask me that, I'll tell you the best I can give you is go read the Gospels. That's the best answer I can give you. Go read the Gospels. You see, your resurrected body will be like the resurrected body of Christ. That's the, best that we can, that's the best that we can say. If you go back and you read the Gospels and you look at Jesus after He died, you'll notice a few things. They saw Him, did they not? They recognized Him. They talked with Him. 
They, they put their fingers in his wounds. They ate with him. He ate with them. He had a body that could eat food. But at the same time, he could walk through a wall like, like nothing was there. At the same time, he could move from there to there and not cross space. One second he was in that country, the next second he was over there. And he never had to travel from one to the other. Now, what does all that mean? I don't know. But I can tell you what it means. For one thing, notice that Jesus, was, his body was not limited by the laws and the rules of this earth. Our body, while we're here, is constrained or limited to what the, the physical laws of this, of this earth and this universe. Our new body will not be limited like that way at all because we'll exist in a different area. Will we be able to fly? I don't know. We'll be able to walk through walls, if there are walls, probably, because Jesus could do it. We'll be able to do a lot of things, but yet you'll know me and I'll know you. I don't know if it'll look, I'll look, I hope I don't look the same. I hope I get an upgrade, don't we all? How many people want an upgrade? Let's upgrade this thing, right? I'm putting in right now for that. Um, but see, here's what he wants us to see. We bear now the image of Adam. It is a body of decay and corruption. Then we will bear the image of Christ, a body of incorruptible glory. Now we are earthy, for lack of a better word. Then we will be uh, heavenly. I want to close with, with the scripture. What should that mean to us today? By the way, is that good news? Man, it's the best news. And the older I get, the better news it looks like. You know, it's probably not good news to teenagers. They're thinking, well, who's all this talk of dying and resurrecting? Um, you know, uh, what, what's, what's the old saying? Everybody wants to heaven, but everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die to get there, right? But the fact is, as you get older and death becomes more real to you, this becomes even more real to you. And that's the beauty of it. That this, is, this is as real as it gets. But I want to I ask a question this morning. What should this, I know what this will mean to us one day. But what should it mean to us today? Well, look at 1 John 3, 2 through 3. John is writing, he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. He said, I'm not, I'm not real sure what it's all going to be like. I'm not real sure what we're going to become. But watch what he says. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. He says, we know that. I, he, I don't know all, he says, I don't know what all that means exactly. But I do know that when he comes, I'm going to be like him, which is exactly what Paul is telling us. Because we shall see him as he is. Now watch what he says at the end. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. You see, what I love about that, John is saying this. You're going to be like Jesus one day. With that in mind, start being like Him today. Start walking like Him today. Start talking like Him today. Everyone who thus has that hope, if you've got that hope, then purify yourself today the same way that He is pure. Begin, I, I, I'm going to be like Him one day. Why would I not start now? Why would I not start now wanting to, to, to transform that inner man to be like Jesus? And I hope as we live here today that... Man, I love teaching about the resurrection. This is a great chapter because I know it's true and I know it's coming. But I want to live my life today with that reality. I want, you see, there's two kinds of people in this life. There's people that believe in the resurrection and there's people that don't. And the people that believe in the resurrection live their life like there is a resurrection. And people that don't believe in it live their life like there is no resurrection. Which one are you doing today? Are you living your life or you're purifying yourself 
in the hope of the resurrection. Let's pray. Father.